Welcome to another episode of the CC Podcast Conversations, where inspiring Christians share their faith-filled stories. Please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast, leave a five-star rating, and write a review. This helps push our content to a broader audience. Are you new to listening? Check out our other podcasts. First, the CC Podcast Daily Dose Devotions, where we're walking through the Bible, focusing on short clips of Scripture. Second is the CC Broadcast, where our weekly radio programming is archived. These podcasts are available wherever you're listening or at christiancrusaders.org. Okay, let's get started with today's episode. Here's our host, Matt Reister, the Executive Director of Christian Crusaders. Hey everybody, Matt Reister with CC Podcast Conversations. We are going to have an interview with Jeff and Kim Schwartzentraub. We're at NRB 2022 National Religious Broadcasters in Nashville. Andrew, Andrew, you spent the better part of the afternoon upstairs producing the podcast from this morning. How's that going? Uh, it's it's awesome. It's awesome. It, it, they're all up, and and hopefully people are already starting to listen. And uh, now we get to now we're we're making some work for me for this evening too, which is it's a good thing. So uh, it's been a very fruitful day. This is day one of the NRB convention, and uh, all told, we're going to have five interviews in the barn yep and they've all been very fruitful very good i think that people are going to love this one we had jeff schwartz and Traub on the cc podcast conversations last august when he was a speaker at the cedar falls bible conference right and i found out he was going to be here i said you want to get on and say anything and we just didn't have an agenda yeah but we put him on we had his wife on there a little bit here's the thing you're going to get from jeff schwartz and Traub that you're not going to get from a lot of other preachers is just unfiltered truth. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, buckle up because yeah. there's a little bit of that in this upcoming interview. That's great, though. That's that's what we want. That's About we want. Uh, gender, egalitarianism versus complementarianism. Yep. We touched on the Mars Hill Church podcast, which both of us weren't thrilled with, if anyone knows what that is. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Bill Maher came yeah. up. Yeah. His church. Anyway. A little bit of football. A little bit of football. He didn't want to talk specifics about certain celebrities, so we yeah. kind of left That's that fine. alone. That's but, fine. But uh, always refreshing. Yeah. Here's the thing. for To sit down and talk with like-minded people, Yep. it's just so refreshing. <clears throat> it is. It is. It's And it's it's good to talk with not like-minded people and... and you know, be have an open exchange of ideas and all that. But yeah, when you when you have somebody that that thinks along the, not only thinks the same things as you, but thinks the way you do, um, and yeah. kind of has a, an analytical mind like that, it is. It's it's really cool. And, and I mean, from the standpoint of this ministry, I mean, like minded, not just for the sake of oh, I, you know, I like him because he thinks the way I do. Right. But we both we all take scripture seriously. Exactly. And. Uh, that's increasingly countercultural. So I think folks are going to love this interview. Thanks to Jeff and Kim for jumping on. Great to see them again. Hey, everybody. Matt Reister here with the CC Podcast Conversations. I'm at the NRB, National Religious Broadcasters Convention 2022, with Jeff and Kim Schwartzentrop. Would you rather me refer to you as Pastor? No, um, Jeff is fine. That's the name that I was given, so that'll work just fine. I've got this pet peeve thing with pastors who care too much about their titles. Do you ever run into those guys? Well, you know, I've never gotten my oil changed in my car where, hey, I'm oil change Bob. <laughs> you know, you know I, I just don't, I'm not into titles. It just happens to be what I do. It's my calling. 
You know, Matt, I've just noticed the last time we did a podcast, I think we had a ton of noise in the background, too. We were in the back at the Cedar Falls Bible Camp, and everybody was coming in, and yeah. I hear all the noise in the background as I'm seeing all the people here today, too. So this, this must be the way we're supposed to do these. I was just going to say two things. One is our, our podcast audience is used to this stuff being recorded in a studio where it's fairly quiet, and, and that ain't the case here. And so on these ones that are loud, I always give our audience permission to not be nervous because we're not nervous. We're just sitting here at a booth at basically a huge Christian uh, broadcaster's trade show. And people are walking around like my wife's sitting over there talking to some dude. Hopefully she gives away one of those microphones. And uh, and so the, the second thing I was going to say is this is your second time on the podcast. It is. Um, and I want to tell our audience how I was first connected to you and kind of how we've journeyed together a little bit so that that'll set some context. Now, if you've heard that podcast, you'll be familiar with Jeff, but Jeff is a pastor at Brave Church in the Denver area. How many campuses you got? We have two campuses in the Denver area. One's in Inglewood, which is pretty much just south of the city, and one is uh, on the northwest side, up closer to Boulder. It's in a town called Westminster. Cool, and you're doing some cool stuff, which we're gonna talk about in a little second. But uh, I've got a buddy from college who goes to your church and he started sending me like you got to hear this guy preach and I get preacher recommendations quite a bit and I'm usually like yeah you think more highly of your preacher than you should stop sending me stuff that you know that's kind of and I've told you this but I'll say it again for our audience and I don't know if Kim has heard this um by the way we've got Jeff's wife Kim did I say that yeah it's Kim Kim hello Good to hear. It. We're gonna maybe hear some more from you. I if don't you're know. gonna say something nice, say it, because I want her to hear you say it. <laughs> so, um, when I first got this clip from my buddy Pete, you gotta know Pete. Pete's the jokester, the prankster. Came to college, not saved. Ended up meeting the Lord, and still is just this crazy guy. I'm gonna be out in Las Vegas with him next week for the basketball tournament. We go out there every year for a few days and watch basketball. Five or six of us who were in college together. And uh, so when Pete sends me this link, on one hand, I'm really glad that he's like going to a church and wanting me to hear a good, what he thinks is a good preacher. On the other hand, I'm kind of like, hmm, I wonder what kind of preacher Pete is gonna recommend to me. And so I, I open the clip and I'm like, you're standing on this way nice stage with this like band, you got your flannel shirt on or your, your plaid shirt on and everything looks just the lighting's great the sounds great i'm just like oh gosh pete got sucked into one of these big mega churches that's all about the bells and whistles and the glitz and the glam we'll see if this guy actually preaches hard things from the truth of god's word and uh to my surprise and i should stop being stereotypic that way because i was wrong about phil hopper you met phil hopper at the bible conference i sure did yeah he's the same kind of guy in a similar kind of church uh but I was quickly um, impressed with the style that you communicate the Word of God, with the boldness with which you communicate the Word of God. And as I've said to our Cedar Falls Bible Conference audience and our podcast audience over and over and over, um, not only do we need men who communicate the Word of God clearly, but I think the component that we need alongside that now more than ever is just boldness. Men who don't care. Men who, who will get hated on from their position of declaring truth and keep declaring truth. And so thank you for being that kind of guy. Uh, so 
you pass the test to get invited to the Bible conference. Not that that's any big deal, but I'm kind of uh, narrow-minded and uh, what do they call that? Intolerant. I'm a little intolerant of uh, just any preacher. And so we had you on the podcast that first time at the Bible conference. Now we're back. And so thank you. And, and Kim, uh, thank you for whatever you do to support him to be that kind of guy. I pray a lot. Yeah, that's the best bet. What do you got to say about all that? Anything? She does. I, I wouldn't be who I am unless she, she did. Um, everybody has different spiritual gifts. Everybody's gifted differently. I've not met anybody, and I've been a Christian 30-plus years now. I, I haven't met anybody that has a, a prayer gift like my wife has. And so I know that God, I mean, I believe God's sovereignty. I know one of the big reasons God brought us together is so that she could be in my life praying for the ministry that God's called me to do, which is proclaim the word. And um, it's a great combination. So Kim doesn't like to be up front. She probably doesn't want to hold this microphone in front of her face and, and do a whole lot of talking. But when it comes to her relationship with the Lord, that's where she spends most of her time doing her talking. Amen. Yeah. I've got a wife like that. And thank the Lord. Kim, just, I don't know if you want to say anything about this or not, but, uh, you know, my wife here gets to see me take heat for being a truth-telling kind of guy. I mean, and there's weak sides to that, right, Jeff? I mean, being the way we are, there's downsides to that. Like, sometimes I pick fights I don't need to pick. Uh, and sometimes that, some of that spills over on my wife. Like, how do you see your role in addition to praying, or what's it like for you to journey down this road connected to this guy who most of the time you want to be connected with but once in a while it's like oh really well I you know a long time ago you have to have thick skin to be a pastor's wife and you have to realize it's not flesh and blood but it's the enemy Amen. and I realize that the attacks are definitely coming from the enemy and so I'm just on my knees a lot praying and I don't feel like I have to defend him or the Bible I just um, need yeah. to be praying for the Lord's protection That's but Kim, speak to this. I mean, what we did before was, before I was a pastor, we did itinerant ministry. So I was an itinerant preacher. I went around to camps, prisons, retreats. A lot of things like what you do at Cedar Falls Bible Camp. I w that was my life. That was our life. And a lot of times when you're a guest preacher and you go somewhere, um, if you're doing what's right and you're doing what's good, people will be, oh, that was great. That was great. Oh, thank you. Oh, thank you. And then you go and you preach kind of the same message somewhere. Oh, thank you. Oh, thank you. Being in the church where you you're with people, there. you're staying there all the time, and you're preaching very, very hard things because the Bible has a lot of hard things to say stuff if you're you going to say not, it. Stuff you might not get to when you're itinerant preacher. Exactly. So, Kim, talk about the difference between being my wife when we're, we were itinerant, being my wife now that we're pastoring the church. And it's probably different now that we're 12 years in, but tell, her what, tell them what it's been like during the journey from the time we started planting. You know, I... So we, we started out itinerant, and we loved it because we were constantly seeing people come to know Christ, and that never gets old. And um, the people were just always gracious and loving. And uh, a few times, people would talk about their pastor and their pastor's wife, and I didn't know any better at the time to say I don't have ears for that. Um, and I would just smile and pray for them and walk away thinking, I wonder if that's true. And now being a pastor's wife, <laughs> I'm like, oh, I wish I would have stood up for their pastor and their pastor's wife and say, listen, I, I, I don't have yours for that. That's gossip. You need to talk to your pastor. Yes. Yeah. And it, and it was much more difficult, too, because I think when you're itinerant, if you do a decent job or people have been touched by the Lord, they're just going to thank you for coming. And you really don't have a deep relationship, and that's it. 
But when you're pastoring and let's say people are going through a divorce and you teach that divorce is wrong or, you know, in a crazy cancel culture, you're teaching that there's one race and two genders, which yeah. seems to be a extreme statement to make. And you're teaching all that and now people are upset. And what we found in the ministry is that when you're a pastor's wife, if people can't get to me, they want to talk to Kim in hopes uh, that she'll talk to me. They lobby uh, you to lobby him. Yes. They do. So it's just different versus, and hey, thanks, great job. It's more like, hey, do you really think about this? Hey, what's Jeff think about that? And there's been a lot of that. Now, as we've grown as a church, not just numerically, but also in spiritual depth, it's very different now. I would say the last two, in it, two years or so have been the two best years we've ever had because really this pandemic has kind of thinned the herd in a way yes. or made the people that have come. I mean, we've grown substantially during the pandemic, but I think the people that have come, they're coming because they're hungry for the word. Just give us the word. If you tell us the truth, we're coming back. Um, but we're so tired of mamby-pamby, wishy-washy, uh, we'll do whatever the culture does kind of stuff that for us it's been a breath of fresh air because even our congregation, you know, it's always changing over time. But we love, we absolutely love what God's doing at Brave Church right now. I mean, we love the people. We love uh, the culture that God's established. And when you plant a church, I mean, if you see somebody going past you in a store and they have a pulse, you want them in your church. Right. Right. Whereas now we've been there a while. We want people who either A, are, are lost and hungry for Jesus, don't know where to turn, or they love the Lord and they want the fullness of it. So we're going to present the fullness of the Lord in the Word and Spirit and what we do and in such a way that either, A, you're going to be really attracted to that or really turned off by that, and we won't need a lot of time to figure out uh, whether you're going to stay or not. COVID really helped us separate the wheat and the weeds a little bit, and I know that parable is that's not our job, but you know what I'm saying. 100%. I think... I think during this, and, and listen, we were, on our, we were on our knees praying about that the whole time. Like, what do we do? 15 days to slow the spread. I mean, what do we do? I mean, <laughs> if, if we can really contribute to something, I mean, we didn't know much about the pandemic. We didn't understand right. masks. We didn't understand vaccines. We didn't understand anything. As time's gone on, what I've realized is there was an agenda, and the church just kind of went along with whatever the culture said versus really believing that what we're doing in the church is the most important thing going on on the planet anywhere and nobody but nobody can shut us down. And Jesus told us before he left the earth that all authority in heaven and on earth had been given to him. Therefore, go and do what I have commanded you. Do everything. Obey everything. Well, what did he tell us to do? Gather as a church and meet. That's our job. And he has authority to tell us to do that. So... I mean, I think what it did for us was strengthen our resolve for how important the church is, how important the Word of God is, how important being in community with the Holy Spirit is. And so I'm at a place now, like, I don't really care what happens again or what some official or elected official says you can or can't. We'll run that through the grid of what does the Word say, yeah. and then we'll make a decision. So if a third of our population starts dying, right. and, if we dis and we're, we're discerning, you know what, by getting together, we're going to lose 55 million people, we're, we're going to be good discerners on that and say, you know what, we're all online this week. I get it. But yes. with what was going on, it was ridiculous. I think it's come out that it's been ridiculous. And, and even today, there's such fear-mongering over something that's not worth being fear-mongered over. And I say that believing that COVID is real. I say it believing that I've had two close friends on ventilators. Both have made it. Praise the Lord. One on, one's been in the hospital for like 90 days. One was in the hospital for about a month. Um, it's real. It's real. But I believe that we've been given responsibility to make really good decisions. And it's not that 
it's not the government's job to decide whether we meet and worship the Lord or not, and we'll never listen that way again. Yeah, that's so interesting. I've got so many thoughts just listening to you talk. One of them is your church's trajectory is quite a bit different than the trajectory of a lot of churches. And it's easy for me to paint with a really broad brushstroke and go, well, I can give you two or three reasons why. And I think actually I'd be pretty accurate. Is it fair to distill it down to stop being mamby-pamby and start preaching the word? Or is that just one of the... I mean, I'm sure out in Denver you see a lot of churches that are struggling, and here you are like buying a building so you can fit more people in one of your campuses. Like, what's up with that? You know, I... I think anytime you say it's because of this one thing that you're probably being too shallow on what we say. But at the end of the day, I, I do believe that for churches that said, Lord, we don't know exactly what to do, but we want to do what you want to do and continue to stay open in spite of opposition and all these different things. I've seen the Lord bless churches like that. And I've seen churches that have kind of gone along with the culture suffer. And it's interesting because what I started doing was, you know, during the pandemic, I'm reading all these stories in the Bible about Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel, or, or David standing up to Goliath, all these other stories. Oh, I love these stories. Oh, they're so great, so great. And then we're not going to open our doors because there's a 0.0001% chance of somebody getting a disease that they may get sick from and have to stay at home and somebody else may be on a I mean, there's a greater chance of dying on I-25 on the way in in a car accident than there is of dying of COVID. So what are we saying? And what we were really saying is we saw that there's a lot of churches out there that care more about what the culture says than about what God says. And I think when there's churches that say, God, we care about what you say and we're going to do what you want, not in a way of being contrarian to the culture, but in saying we are different than the culture. We are going to obey our God. And I think churches that chose to say, no, we're not going to do that. We just want to make sure everybody's happy. I think they've struggled and I think they're going to continue to struggle until... Um, they get their priorities straight. And here's the thing, like this is maybe too harsh for me to say, and this is where my wife is like, do I need to be married to the guy that says this? Um, but if you are in existence as a church to make people happy and make people feel good, I hope things go bad for you. I, I hope the doors close. Because what are we doing? It's like a, uh, it, it's, it's like a feel-good trip to hell. You know what I mean? Like, is that too harsh? Well, I said it in my message uh, a few weeks ago that if all we're going to do is be nice, I don't remember the exact context, but you're talking about just being nice or not having the purpose of preaching the gospel or just making sure you have great delicious coffee or a great worship center that looks fantastic or whatever. I mean, all you're doing is creating a bigger waiting room for hell. You know, you're, you're making people more comfortable for hell. And, you know, while the world can look on and be like, man, this church is great. Look at this. Look at that's not what God wants. I think God wants us to use the church as a vehicle for advancing his kingdom on planet earth. And if we're not serious about that, I mean, there's churches I've driven by where I know that they don't believe that the word of God is true, that they don't believe in the power of the Holy Spirit, that they don't believe in salvation by grace through faith alone. They don't believe in the inerrancy of the word. They're not believing any of the foundational things. Now, I'm not talking about some people that I mean, there's all sorts of great churches that see the church differently, right? I mean, there's Different some that theological that, distinctives. Yeah, and I, I get that. All within the family of God. I'm talking about ones that aren't. I drive by them, I start praying. God, shut them down. Amen. Let us buy their building. Let somebody else buy their building. Let, you know, let us drop a screen there and reach more lives for Christ. I mean, Amen. shut them down. I, why would we want that to continue? Yeah. I think, it, I, I think it's horrible. I think it's satanic. And uh, 
Yeah, that's about all I got to say about yeah, that. Yeah, so I'm not being too harsh. That's good to know. Um, I think you're really sweet. <laughs> uh, we're not going to name names, but I want to ask you, you, one of the things about being the church that you are in the Denver area is you have some celebrities that show up from time to time. I could name a couple that I'm aware of right now. You would know others. Um, we were talking in the hallway about that, like the disruption that it can cause to have celebrities in your church. On one hand, you want to minister to them. On the other hand, you don't want this to turn into, I was telling you the story of how Ronald Reagan, when he was president, didn't go to church because, now I don't know where he was at spiritually, I'm not trying to make some political statement, but he says that he didn't go to church because he didn't want to disrupt church, which you can imagine if the president of the United States shows up and sits two pews in front of you, it's going to be crazy. So, um, how do you manage like a, a, a quote-unquote celebrity church? Yeah, I don't know that we have a celebrity church because I, I would say this too. I mean, we we do have professional athletes, former professional athletes that show up at the same time that we have homeless people walking through the doors. At That's the same awesome. time, we have people that you know they can't afford to figure out how they're going to get grocery money and all that kind of stuff. So we have we have a full demographic, different skin colors, different ethnicities, different backgrounds. So it's a full orb thing, and I would say. You know, as our church has grown numerically, it's also grown depth spiritually. So I, th I think our church, for the most part, has gotten to a, a way of seeing everybody as equal. I certainly see everybody as equal because God does, and we model that. But, of course, I mean, if somebody comes in that anybody in the country would recognize of, of, of notoriety, um, you know, for some of these guys, we tried to make some accommodations where we know how to get them in and out and get them into a seat where they can come worship with us and then make their way out without getting too much disruption. Um, but I feel like our church has done a pretty good job of handling that. And, you know, we've, we've tried to make the gospel so profound that every single person matters that we, I don't know that a lot of people in our church would even care, yeah. to be honest with you. I think they care more like, does this person really know the Lord? Are they praying? Or can I pray for them? I mean, that kind of stuff. And, you know, the, because we're a church that will preach hard things, I mean, we're not trying to attract a demographic or... Man, if we get this person in our church, that would be awesome or yeah, yeah. all this kind of stuff. Um, we want people that come, I believe, as a pastor. I mean, my calling, I'm responsible for every soul that walks into that door. And so I think about the prophets and how they would say, you, you know, God said to Ezekiel and Jeremiah, you know, if, if you say what I say and these people don't repent, but you've told them the truth, them. their blood's on their own head. That's right. But if they come to you and you don't tell them the truth, then their blood's on your head. So I just try to make sure that when I'm preaching, I don't care if the president shows up, the most famous athlete shows up, a homeless person shows up. Uh, you just try to make eating, sure their blood's on their head. Their blood's on their own head. <laughs> and I feel pretty confident when I leave the pulpit that, you know what, it was clear. It was clear. It was not about trying to win somebody to come back to our church. It was about telling people about the awesome God that we serve and how we can best relate to him. So now I'm going to ask to pull back the curtain a little bit. And if you don't want to do this, that's fine. But there are times when my wife is, uh, well, she, she's very much like you described, like, and she's counseled a bunch of women to like, stop nagging your husband and pray because the Holy Spirit's a way better Holy Spirit than I am. You know what I mean? And I feel like you got that. But there are times when the Holy Spirit leads you to actually speak up. <laughs> I mean, are, are there, are there things that, either in your style or your tone that Kim has ever had to bring up? Have, have you ever, how, how do you raise those issues? And I might actually, actually be asking you this for just the benefit of Jenna. I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't 
don't know. What would you say? Yeah, I mean, my personality is very similar in the pulpit as it is outside the pulpit. I don't, I don't change when I get in. I'm a very, yeah. pa- I'm a very passionate person. Love it. So when we first got married, I think you know, a level on a scale of zero to ten of intensity. A level three for me feels like a level 44 for my wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so just being <laughs> myself and chilled out, I think there's times where Kim's like, hey, you need to watch your tone or you need to change the way you say that. And my response is, was always like, well, what are you talking about? We're just talking. We're just having a conversation. <laughs> um, stuff like that, um, I think, is why God brought us together because we are so different. But Kim's ability to see the world through her lens has been super helpful to me and I know I know I know her so well so like when we're talking about stuff yeah you know I come down and you know Kim is always 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 encouraging she never says anything negative about my sermons I can't think of a negative thing you said about my sermons but you know when I come down she's usually the first to say something because I'm right by her and she'll be like that was really good or that was so convicting or oh I love that story and if she's ever silent, which is rare, you know, I'll be like, so what'd you think? She's like, yeah, that, was, that was a good one. And I'm like, oh, that must have been horrible. That no, been sometimes I'm still worshiping. That's not true. Okay, that's good. You don't need to hold that mic so close. Okay, Just a little bit here. away. Right. Yeah. Uh, sometimes you're still worshiping. That's oh, yeah, we're, we're worshiping, and I'm just in the yeah. worship mode. Yeah, yeah. that makes sense. Uh, I know a, a pastor and his wife, this is kind of getting at what I'm getting at with you, but... He would say openly from the pulpit that there's a chance that less than 10% of the people who are in church regularly on Sunday are actually saved. And his wife was just like, you can't say that. Like, you, you got to. And so, so she talked him into moving the percentage up to less than 50%, which satisfied her kind of like concern for how that sounded without him compromising, he's, it's, like, it's still 3%. I mean, less than 50 or less than 10. So there's always a little give and take, right? Jeff so, is such a truth teller, and I love that about him, so I don't ever want to correct that. That's awesome. Yeah, I don't think there's ever been a time that Kim's told me what to say. I think there, there are things that have come out of my mouth, especially when we were itinerant earlier on, in terms of my vernacular or things that I said in a certain way where she said, hey, you can't say that because <laughs> people aren't understanding it the way that you think that they're understanding it. Yeah. And you probably should say it another way. I think there's been that a few times, not yeah. so much anymore. So you got a bunch of stuff going on. You were just saying, I, you showed me a picture of your podcast studio that you just put together and you're going to get into this. I said, so what's your podcast going to be about? You said, or what are you doing with that? You said, uh, nothing yet because we got a bunch of other stuff going on. What do you got going on? Yeah, so we, uh, a month ago, we just purchased a, a building up in Westminster, another church, and uh, which was awesome. We, we've had a campus up there. We started off with about 30 people, and it kind of grew. We got to about 300. We're like, oh, man, it's never going to get any bigger than that. And we went to two services, and it kept growing during COVID. And then, um, so we purchased this other building, and we went from about, you know, 550 in one weekend to about 1,200 people, and it's been staying up at, at that. And that's a video venue campus for us. And now we're getting ready to buy the venue next door to us. So we'll go from a 1,300-seat auditorium to a 3,000-seat auditorium. We're getting ready to do Easter outdoors again this year, which we did last year. Had about 8,500 people. This year we're expecting about 15 to 20,000. Was that out at, like, Red Rocks or something? It was near Red Rocks. It was uh, right near Red Rocks. It's at Bandemir Speedway in Denver. Um, so if you're in Denver on Easter on April 17th, come. Continue to pray for great weather. We're praying for 75 degrees, 76 degrees, maybe a little cloud cover and uh, <laughs> low humidity. Um, 
we're trusting the Lord with that. But, um, you know, we're doing that. We're starting a, a Spanish-speaking campus. A good friend of ours who've known, known him for eight years from Guatemala has just joined our staff. So we're starting Iglesia Brave. Um, just couldn't be more excited about all the different opportunities. And we want to start a school in about a year. So it feels like we're running full speed all the time. And, you know, Kim and I have talked. I mean, we first started the ministry. Each week was like we were, the way we would describe it in Denver is like running up a ski hill in boots, in the snow and mud is what it felt like. And every time we got a grip, we'd slide back down. So, I mean, I remember preaching on a weekend, you know, checking the numbers afterwards. And yeah. I mean, we, we started with like 200 people and, you know, we kind of bottomed out. It was There were 113 and that included about 65 of those being kids. And the ones in the auditorium, about 15 to 20 of those were mainstays in our building. So we basically drew about 15 people in from the whole greater Denver area to come hear me preach. And I'm like, what are we doing wrong? Like, what is going on? And we call back to some of our mentors and like, no, nothing. Just keep preaching the word. Yeah. It's not how big you get. It's the type of congregation that you build that's important. And so, you know, I, I don't feel like we have anything to apologize for. I feel from day one, we've gotten into the word, preached the word, trusted God for that. And now people that come know, hey, he's going to open his Bible and he's going to preach what the word says. And I may or may not want to hear it, but he's going to do his best to present God to us. And I also say all the time, if I tell you something, I'm going to do my best to tell you this is what God says. But you think the word says something different? Well, always obey the word. Yeah, amen. I'm not the authority. The word of God is the authority. And so obey the word of God. And so that's what we talk about all the time. So we got a lot going on. That's awesome. Um, I had a question flash through my mind, and it's gone. Oh, shoot. What's my favorite color? Hey, what is your favorite? Camouflage. I like what you're wearing <laughs> on your head. Do you know the story of this? No. I talked about it at the Bible conference. I don't know if you're there or not. Um, I'm, I'm not a huge... I killed one deer one time in my backyard. It's a great story. I'm not a big camel guy, but my son took me to a Nike outlet store, and, the, and there were these camo shoes, Nike Metcons, that fit me. He's like, Dad, you got to get these shoes. He's like, really, camo? He's like, yeah, they're cool, and they were cheap. And so I got them, and, and then I, I kind of thought, you know what? It's like we're in spiritual battle all the time. And so I'll put these shoes on, and camo reminds me of being in war. And so now I've got camo dudes down there, and i got a camo hat. I just kind of put camo on once in a while, remind myself I'm always at war. Yeah, that's good. Uh, so the podcast, what, what, what do you eventually want to do with, with your podcast? Well, one thing, we, we have so many people that come to church and they want to ask questions. I don't have time to stop and answer everybody's questions. So we'd like to do like a, something where people can send questions in and then we'll take five questions a week or something like that where we, you know, people can ask, what, do you, what does the Bible say about? What do you think about? And do that. Also, would just like to be able to talk about different things that are on people's minds, especially as Christians, like... Okay, so if you have a desire to plant a church, what are, what are five things that you need to know? You know, or I'm feeling a tug on my life to go into ministry. What, how should I do that? Or as a Christian, how should we, how should we give and how should we save and what does it look like? And I, I just think having practical topics about what the Bible says, I, I think would be huge for us because we have so many. I mean, we have a huge demographic. We got older people too. We got a lot of young people that come and that are just asking simple questions. And I think it'd be great to have Kim on because. She can talk about marriage better than I can. Or she might not be able to talk about it better. She can live it better than I can. So That's good. Uh, to be able to, uh, you know, to really address things. Because I think sometimes, you know, like on marriage, 
I can preach on Ephesians 5 and talk about how wives submit to husbands, husbands loving their wives, wives respect their husbands, husbands love your wives, just like Christ loved the church. And you got it? Got it? Yeah. Okay, so how does that work at year one, right. year five, year 15? What have you learned about that? What are practical ways that you can make that work? Knowing that every woman, you know, that gets married is a little bit different, you know, in her personality and her family background and what she's been through. Every husband's a little bit different in his personality. What do you, so then how do these two gel in such a way where the scripture is still being honored? Because I think what most people try to do is try to have this idyllic view of marriage and that everyone's supposed to look exactly the same and right. the way you communicate is supposed to look. So then we come up with these principles. You got to do these five things every day to make your marriage happy. And you try those and you're like, it doesn't work for us. Right. That, that would never work for my wife. I mean, yeah. if, I tr- if I tried to wake my wife up before, I don't know, eight o'clock, seven o'clock, five o'clock for sure, and say, hey, let's have a Bible study. It it's just be a bad day. And so <laughs> it's not because my wife doesn't love the Lord. Amen. You know, and so it's just knowing how to apply different things. So I think that'd be, you know, fun things to talk about on the show. I remember the question that I brain farted on a second ago, which is talk about the importance of numbers and how to, as a church, as a pastor, I know some examples of some pastors or churches that are hyper-focused on numbers and they've kind of maybe loosened their focus on the Word of God. Like, one is more important than the other, right? Faithfulness to the Word of God. So, but, but at the same time, it's not like numbers don't matter. How do you hold that tension correctly? And, and it's, this isn't just a pastor's thing. I mean, this applies to ministries. This applies to the listeners we have on our podcast. Like, am I going to, how, how should our board think about our, our metrics versus our faithfulness to the Word? What would you say about that? Yeah, so, I mean, you have a book in the Bible called Numbers. So numbers are important. Yeah, the whole th- all throughout the book of Acts, it gives us numbers. Um, starting off with, you know, the first church was a mega church. So you have 3,000 people in one day. Uh, getting saved and baptized, and then it just continues to explode and expand. So numbers matter in the sense that to the extent that we can advance the kingdom and do what we need to do. But I think sometimes we focus too much on them. I remember being an evangelist. I mean, you got guys, you know. <laughs> Belt notchers. You, 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 when you do a crusade, the reason Billy Graham did what he did was to be faithful to get an accurate count because people were inflating the numbers. Like, no, we're going to count every single one because we're going to be faithful and tell people, what actually happened. And I, I've been in crusades where I'm like, if one person came forward, that was a bunch. And then you'd read about it and like 50,000 came through to Christ in our ministry this weekend. And I'm like, no, they didn't. I was there. Nothing happened. <laughs> so I think, I think there's, there's those kind of things we got to be faithful about and just presenting the truth. But I, th- I do think numbers matter. And I do think they tell a story. I think that, um, you know, the two things I said as an evangelist, I'll never look at as a pastor was um, how much money did we bring in and how many people were there? And from day one, the first thing I want to see is how many people were there and how much money do we bring in. So I I think there is some metric to that over time, so long as that is not your only guide on flag as to what is actually happening. Because you can be in a place where potentially there's wealthy people in your community that give a lot, but that doesn't mean anything faithful is going on. You can be in a place where a lot of people come attend, but that doesn't mean anything faithful is going on. So the question becomes how faithful are you to the things that God's calling you to be faithful to? So that's why we talk about preaching the word, worship, prayer, evangelism. Those are metrics for us. So when we do our prayer meeting on Tuesday night, I care way more about how many people show up at that than I do on a weekend. Yeah. Anybody can walk in on a weekend. Yeah. But 
when when we start off with prayer, we probably start off with 12 people or something like that. Now we'll have like 700 people come to our prayer meeting. I care about that yeah, and yeah. what's going on there because everybody there is praying over one another and doing stuff that in most churches, if you call people to pray out loud or lay hands on somebody and pray, they wouldn't do. As a matter of fact, I had a guy in my small group say to me on Tuesday, um, he said, you know, before I came to Brave, he goes, I'd never, ever prayed out loud. And I said, you mean like in a group? He's like, no, ever. I grew up Catholic. I, did, I thought you were supposed to pray silently. And I'm like, so before he came to our church, I said, well, it changed. He goes, I saw everybody in church praying out loud, so I tried it. Wow. That's amazing. To your point about numbers, being able to attract a crowd without there anything spiritually going on, I had a buddy in college, Dustin Schrammick, who is a missions-minded guy, and uh, he had an aerial view picture of the Muslim temple or whatever it is in Mecca during the Hajj. It was like two million dudes on their knees, you know, it's like, there's numbers. So you want numbers? Okay. Like, what's that getting you? You know what I mean? But, but there, like you said, there is a role for numbers and measuring and trends and metrics and just getting a, a, a gauge on where we're headed. But you got to, especially as the kind of the senior pastor, the CEO of the organization, I'm sure you got to coach people to think right about that, even on your staff or on your team to make sure no one goes in the ditch on that kind of stuff. We tell people all the time, this has been one of those seasons where we've seen God grow us numerically a lot. And we've told our whole staff, like, do not get caught up in what you're seeing because God can give and God can take away and it has nothing to do with that. And don't make your spiritual vitality be what you're seeing or experiencing at our church. You have to be in front of the Lord personally every single day and not just ride somebody else's wave. The danger of what's happening now is... Um, while we feel really blessed and we're seeing a bunch of people get saved and we're seeing a bunch of people grow and people saying they've been set free and healed and all the, that's great. We love that. We want more of that. But if you're just going to watch from the sidelines and say, oh, that's cool. I see it every Sunday. I see it every Tuesday night at prayer. It's great. I love it. But you personally aren't pursuing the Lord and letting him change you. That's, I think that's where the danger is. I think, you know, Kim and I have talked about this a lot, but, you know, we've had a chance to meet a lot of people in a lot of different venues. And I think for us, I think for me, I'll say for me, planting the church at age 40 versus planting the church at age 25 was super helpful to me. I remember after graduating from Dallas Seminary when I was 32, and I thought I got called to be a church in a church planting residency at Fellowship Bible Church in Little Rock, Arkansas. I thought I was going to leave from there and go plant a church. My whole life fell apart. I went through a broken engagement. I um, was emotionally just distraught. I couldn't get anybody to follow me anywhere. I didn't even want to plant a stupid church by that point in time. And I was like, God, what are you doing? But that eight years of humbling in my life got me ready to do this in such a way where like now I'm 51 years old. Now when things happen, I know they have nothing to do with me. I play a role in it. But it has nothing to do with God can take me out and do it without me. But when I was 25... You would have thought you had a role. I had a role. I would have thought it had it had a lot to do with me. Does that make sense? Yeah. But I would have said it didn't, totally. but I would have believed that it did. Of course. And now I now I know that... No, I believe I play in a role. I really do. Yeah. But I don't believe God needs me to play that role. He can pick out anybody else he wants yep. to keep... So for me, it brings a great deal of humility. And I think because of what we've seen, like I have no desire to... like aspire to like whatever Christian greatness looks like. I'm yep. looking around NRB right now. I, I, I see some of it. Um, <laughs> I have no desire to do any of that. I, I just want to be faithful and influential for the gospel. And if I've done that, then I know I've done my job. 
there was a day when I wanted nothing more than to be like the second iteration of Bill Hybels. Did, did you ever? I wanted to be the next Billy Graham. I mean, I, I'm an evangelist at heart, and I think, you know, I, I want to do that. And um, I think I'm still holding the mic wrong. That's why I couldn't be Billy Graham. But I, um, <laughs> you know, I think for me, I still have the same passion to reach as many people. But I'm just. It's just different now. Totally. We're passionate because we see the time is near, that yeah. the Lord is coming. So we just want to be faithful. Yeah. yeah. And faithfulness. How near? <laughs> what do you think? Soon. <laughs> yeah. Fa- faithfulness. I think it's really soon. Faithfulness is worth so much more. Today's version, my, my understanding today of faithfulness is worth so much more. It, it's so weightier much more weighty to me than success and platform and notoriety was when I was younger aspiring toward. You know what I mean? Like like if you'd have told me I was going to be running this ministry in the Cedar Falls Bible Conference and be content and, and, and not just content but flourishing. Like I feel like I'm living the dream. I really do. But it ain't it ain't Bro, sexy. you can go to High V in Cedar Falls where <laughs> greatness started. <laughs> Kurt Warner. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like, the Lord changed my uh, affections and my aspirations so that I'm chasing something different. And, uh, and that's worth a lot, right? When we got married, I told my wife, because of all that I'd done and been through, I was in ministry, but I told her, don't worry, I'll never be a pastor. I don't know how many years I said that. And so when God started shifting my heart and used a bunch of things to come together, like, hey, you love evangelism, you love the word. I'm like, yeah, that's why I can't be in the church. That's why I can't be a pastor. And God said, no. And what he walked me through this process of saying, no, I've called you to be a prophet and I want you to be in the church and this is what you do and you'll use your gift there. and God made it clear to me that's what we're going to do. Talking to Kim was really strange and hard because, you know, for 10 years I told her, don't worry, we'll never do that. I mean, it's never going to happen. And now all of a sudden we're doing that. And, you know, I, I'd really been so against church. And it turned out I wasn't against church. What I was against was the way I saw church being done. Yes. That was lethargic and complacent and irrelevant and apathetic when God wanted it to be so much more. And what God showed me is like, you don't hate the church. The reason you're so passionate is because you love my church and you, you can either stand on the sidelines and mock it for the rest of your life or you can get in the game and make a difference. And so, you know, I'm at a place now, I'm like, I'll give the rest of my life to the local church because I think the local church is the most important vehicle in the world. And I can't believe, I mean, if you would have caught me 15 years ago, I would have never told you, I yeah, never yeah. told you that. So God has a way of working these things out in our life yeah. where we can be content doing you know, whatever God wants us to do. If somebody had told me when I was in college at the University of Illinois playing football, hey, one day you're going to be a pastor. I would have cried. I mean, <laughs> if that was really going to happen, I mean, I that's the last thing I ever want to do is be a pastor. And now, I mean, there's nothing else I can see myself doing. This is what I'm called to do. So God has a way of doing that and bringing us contentment in a deep way. I want to ask you about Bill Maher in a second. But before we get to Bill Maher, I got a, I got a church question for you. Um, how does the church function well in a way that does not unintentionally send the message to people that spiritual growth and discipleship 
the church is the hub of that versus the home being the hub of that. So, so it's mom and dad's job to disciple their kids. Amen. Yep. And so, but we have this church with this student ministry and a great youth program, and we want you to have your kids be involved in it, and that's great and good. But how do you do that? And then, and then extrapolate that beyond children's and youth ministry to the whole thing. Let's say evangelism or discipleship or whatever. How do you, how do you have a great church um, without unintentionally sending the message that you got to come to Pastor Jeff to be a man of God? Well, I think it's a right understanding of what the church is, right? Because I don't think you have great families without a great church. So I think that, you know, we, we have a ministry just south of us called Focus on the Family. Perhaps you've heard of it. And uh, we love Focus on the Family. And they've done so many fabulous things. But I think in our culture, it's embedded where people say what you say, which is families make disciples, families make disciples, the church helps. Now, the church is what makes disciples, but the church rightly understood empowers moms and dads to make disciples versus creating programs to get you to come to. Yeah. And so I think we just have a misunderstanding of what the church's job is, a misunderstanding of what discipleship is. We think church exists for itself, church exists for church, when church exists to advance the kingdom. Church exists to build people up in the faith so that they can do it. So even at our church right now, I mean, having been an evangelist that loves to see people empowered, turn loose, we're trying to turn the ship, so to speak, of, yeah, we want you to come to church, yeah, because it's a vehicle where if you really learn to worship and pray and uh, you really hear the word and you know how to evangelize, then the other thing is, now go do it. Because Sundays is the empowering mechanism we yeah. have for you to grow, but everything else is designed for you to go do that. And I think too often the church exists for itself. So it's like, well, if you're really gonna disciple your kids, they need to come to our youth program and you guys gotta get to the parenting class. And you would think Christians don't know how to do a doggone thing with all the books on how to that we have for every different part of Christianity. And it makes you wonder, how did the early church explode? Exactly. When they didn't have any money, they didn't have budgets, they didn't have buildings, they didn't have any of this. All they had was the Word of God and the Holy Spirit, and they That's seemed right. to be okay. I, and so I think, you know, and then the same problems we have too, but I, I think so often we think of church wrongly as a hub as a place that you've got to be in and do things our way and give your money to, and then maybe hopefully you'll just become a better person that way versus uh, the church is the equipping station of God to help people become better parents, yeah. to help you and to say, hey, we're here for you. Yeah. We're here for the gospel. We're here to empower you. We're here versus you're here to help us. Here's what we do at our church and here's what you can do and here's what you can give and here's how you can help our programs. And we start with too many dadgum programs that we're having you fill in because we don't know how to make you a disciple or we're excited that you happen to be there on Sunday, Matt, but you know, you run Cedar Falls Bible Camp and you're running a ministry and we're for that. And so go advance the kingdom and to the extent we can help you be better at that, that's why we're here. Yep. Most churches don't think that way. Yeah. Most churches think, well, I know you're doing your ministry, but we're the church, we're more important, so why don't you bring your family to our church? Right, yeah. Would yeah. you agree with that? Have you seen that as a... Oh, for sure. And, and you know, I asked the question a while back about what are some of the characteristics of churches, especially in this time, post-COVID, 2022, that are growing versus the churches that are dying? And we talk about a boldness in preaching the word being one factor. This would be another factor. And there, there are many factors, and it's multifaceted. But the churches that were what you just described, kind of like, come to us, we'll do everything for you, or whatever, those churches 
are hemorrhaging and have been exposed as such. And I think there are a lot of people going, okay, wait a minute, I just stayed home for a year and a half, didn't go to church, uh, and... And you told me I don't need to because you can get the same thing at home you can if you come. So now that you can come, why would I ever come back? Exactly. What we say is there's a power of God in community that you can't experience. And so, you know, we had Charlie Kirk out to our church uh, last fall, and he used this analogy. I'm stealing it from him because it was so good. So he said, you know, there's a difference between um, being near a fireplace and watching one on a screen. He goes, you can see all the same things, you just can't feel the warmth. And I thought that was a great illustration of what we've said. And so we have people who, through wisdom, have chosen to stay at home, and that's fine. We support that. Some people have health issues for whatever reason. And some people, you know, that are tuning into our Sunday service don't have churches anywhere near their neighborhoods, and they're in different places all across the world, and they tune in. That's great. But at the end of the day, there's something different if you're in our church. I don't know how many times we've heard somebody say, when I walked on the campus this morning, I could sense the Holy Spirit was here. I knew God was going to do something. There's a palpability of the Spirit of God that's different than what you experience when you watch on a screen. And so, and so that's why we told people, what we said was, if God's told you to stay home or you need to stay home because you're making a choice of wisdom, good for you. We're not against that. We're for you. But for us, we're going to meet because there's something so tangible about the Spirit of God and what's going on at Brave that we can't stop that and you're always invited in. And I think our people have responded. So what you're saying, I think is totally accurate because if your messaging has been, we're shutting down for the year, watch online, watch at home, you'll get the same thing. Okay, now that it's over, what's your messaging now? Why would I come back? Right. I just get the same thing at home and it's way more convenient. (laughs) Why would I come back? And I don't have to give and we don't need to support these buildings and we don't. Yeah. It, I think it's tough messaging to go both ways. And I think that's what happens when you placate to the culture yeah. versus saying there's something positive about meeting together and not giving up the habit of doing that. So we're not a political ministry really at all, just focus on scripture, the gospel. So when I bring up Bill Maher, the idea isn't to be political, but we had a good conversation over there about Bill Maher, primarily this outspoken atheist. Uh, and you were just saying, I love what he's doing right now. And so we just want to put that on the airwaves and say, Pastor Jeff Schwarzenchop loves what Bill Maher is doing. And so go to his Let me church. qualify it before it gets <laughs> tweeted. I, 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 what I've said is I've always had respect for people who, based upon their worldview, speak, the, speak truth. And they say what they say. Yeah. Now, Bill Maher, because he doesn't know the Lord, is blind to the gospel. So he's speaking from a different base than what I'm speaking from. Yep. I believe Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. I believe Bill Maher is completely lost and needs to repent and trust Jesus. So I'm, I'm not celebrating his lostness. What I have noticed is, even prior to COVID, I mean, he could take pastors to task because he's read the Bible and knows it's true and doesn't believe it, where many of them say, well, I just don't believe the Bible. And post-COVID, I think he's come out and said things against the left because he sees how ridiculous they are. So for me, I mean, it's a prayer request of mine. I'd love to be on a show sometime. I, not even on a show. I just love to meet him sometime because I have respect for people that are trying to find truth even when they're wrong. And he's wrong. But I'd love to be able to have a conversation because I can respect where he's coming from. So, um, and I think sometimes people that mock religion, mock Jesus, mock Christianity, are some of those that are, are closer to the truth than what they oh, realize. Amen. And so for me, you know, when I see a guy like that that's, that's outwardly mocking of the Lord, I don't say, oh, he deserves hell. I deserve hell. What I say is, 
there's something going on in that guy's heart that he knows is true. I wish I could get in front of him and show him what that is and uh, explain to him the relationship he could have with God through the person of Jesus Christ. So Bill Maher, uh, if you're listening or if any of your people are listening, let's reach out to this guy. I did an interview with Michael W. Smith last year, and I said, is there anything you've done that, that, that you haven't done that you want to do? And he's like, I would love to do a collaboration with John Williams. You know, the composer. I mean, John Williams is a stud. I was like, well, let's get him here. John, give Mike a call, and we'll uh, hook it up. I don't think that's happened yet, but maybe one of these times. Uh, what are your thoughts about NRB right here? I mean, just kind of being here, why'd you come back? Uh, you kind of made a late decision, it sounds like, because I texted you, we texted maybe a month or so ago, and you were kind of trying to decide. We're that- trying to figure out dates. March is a busy month for us. We have, we have three family birthdays. We have all sorts of stuff going on. We're going to be doing some other travel. And so we were trying to figure that out. But we've been here the last three years. Uh, we work with RK Media, who produces our radio program, which takes sermons of ours and splices them. We have an announcer. We get put on the air- it's airwaves. like 30 minutes? It's a 26-minute minute program. And so how long, are you on a bunch of stations all over the country? 33, Colorado, 33 nationally. Um, we're on in Denver more than anywhere else right now. And yeah. That's one of the reasons we came down is to talk to them. We're talking tomorrow about how do we expand that, how do we become strategic with that. We don't want to be on the airwaves just for being on the airwaves' sakes. We want to be strategic about how do we... How do we reach the right people with the gospel message that we have to help them grow as disciples of Jesus Christ? And, you know, we've had some really cool radio stories. I mean, we've had Mormons that have come to know Jesus. We've had people that were total atheists that have come to know Jesus. And people will come into our church and they'll tell us these stories kind of nonchalantly. Like, yeah, you know, thanks for preaching. You know, I I lost my family because I was Mormon. And um, when I decided to give my life to Christ and come to church, they didn't want anything to do with me anymore. Just love your church. As if... That's cool. That's it. Like, I mean, it's just pretty neat to hear what God's doing. So God does use all, all methodologies of bringing his word to people, and we just want to be faithful doing that. And then, Matt, second reason, I knew you were going to be here, so I wanted to be here just to <laughs> say hi to you. What is, uh, what is, what's your role, Kim? I mean, a prayer, a supporter. Um, do you see your role evolve? You're raising three kids right now, 14, 13, and 8. Eight. And uh, so, I mean, you're neck deep in that, which is way more important. Maybe, I mean, I, I, my wife works circles around me, man. I can't do that stuff. <laughs> and I think it's more important. I mean, you talk about making disciples. Like, this is, what, what was uh, Timothy's grandma, Lois and Eunice? I mean, they got props in the scripture for what they did to pour into those kids. And so that's great. But as you move toward, like, kids being grown and gone and look, like, What is your role, and what do you see it becoming, maybe? Well, first and foremost, to support Jeff, um, when we first started the church, I think I did everything but preach. (laughs) (laughs) I was all hands on deck. And then um, women's ministry, and I led in worship, and, you know, kids' ministry, of course, everything. Um, Now that our church has gotten bigger, we have so many amazing people that are filling those roles, and are very gifted and um, I'm just you know we we counsel and we we do ministry together which is a blessing and I'm loving it so whatever God leads me to do but the biggest thing is praying and our kids and our kids yeah so it's a short amount of time and I don't want to miss it yeah yeah so I mean Kim says no to stuff at church regularly because of where our kids are at because we get one shot 
Amen. We have one shot. And so at the end of the day, we, we don't want to have our kids leave the house and say, I wish we would have spent more time with them. And I don't think we're ever going to say that. I think, I think we're very intentional about making sure our kids know they're a priority. And um, Kim does the lion's share of, of all that. So, you know, I'll tell people, I work a full-time job. And I work evening. I, I work a lot. But Kim works overtime. Yeah. You know, and so it, it's been, and, and every part of ministry, as you know, every part of life is seasonal. Yep. So there's different seasons where we're able to travel together. There's other seasons we can't do that. There's yep. different seasons where she could serve in church more. There's other seasons where she says, I'm, I'm not doing that. And, you know, we just kind of play it by ear, depending on where we're at and what's going on. And it'll look different. I mean, if our kids are all out of the house and in, in, in uh, college, we're going to have a lot more time to travel together, do other things together, uh, minister differently together than what we do now. And Check out this guy. I think you should have dressed like that. That is a beautiful white suit. <laughs> I don't have an all-white suit. I don't even know if I, I have yeah, a suit. I don't suit. think you have a suit. <laughs> I want to come back to something, Kim, and maybe you can just say to encourage some moms. My wife uh, is very willing to say no to some very good things for the sake. She does, and she wants to do two or three, three things very, very well, and one of them being raise my kids, you know, or raise her kids, uh, disciple them. Um, be a, a great wife. Be a great. Uh, I'm not going to say it all, but um, it's a struggle for her because sometimes she feels like I need to be doing ministry. Like you're out there doing all this stuff. I should be more involved at the Cedar Falls Bible Conference. Uh, I should be more involved helping with Christian Crusaders. Like, no, babe. I mean, you're killing it in the most important arena. Like, stop with this. Um, inadequacy stuff and, and I think what I would say I would say that I've seen a lot of women come to my wife and say I want to be more like that but I even have less of an ability to say no to the things that I need to say no to in order to do that well do you know what I'm saying yeah. talk about that a little bit well I'm so privileged to be with our kids. It's such a ministry and um, to watch them grow. And I, I fully believe with my whole heart that they will be in the ministry someday in some aspect. And um, so I feel like I'm, you know, just encouraging them to um, live out their godly lives. And that's the biggest role that I could ever play. And I'm so excited to be a part of that. And um, there's seasons for things. I was doing women's ministry okay while I was homeschooling, and both were okay. And I asked the Lord, what is it that you want me to do? And it was clear. I didn't have to wait for the answer. It was clear that it was homeschooling the kids and yeah. raising them and discipling them. And um, so I have so much joy and fulfillment because I heard directly from the Lord that this is exactly where he wants me to be. Mm-hmm. We homeschool too. I don't know if you knew that or not, but it's, yeah. So um, there's a little bit of, of, of pressure from the world, though, to say that being a mom isn't enough. I mean, you, you got to be more important than that. That's not, you know, the feminist movement kind of gutted motherhood and, and made moms like second-rate citizens. You know what I thought was hilarious was during COVID, everyone's like all of a sudden, these, these homeschool moms are like national heroes. <laughs> Before COVID, is like you're all a bunch of dorks who, you know, haven't come out of the 1940s yet right. or whatever it is. Right. Yeah, I, I 
consider it a joy. And I, like I said, I heard from the Lord directly that this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And so I, I think that um, there's no greater joy than to minister to my kids and my husband and to love on them and serve them. And um, I don't listen to the world, world as a Christian woman. I listen to the Lord. Amen. And so um, hearing directly from him is why I do what I do. I'm going to go... Were you going to say something? Well, I think, too, uh, and it, it, it's true of women, but it's also true of us as men. I think we all want titles, right? And so I think for a lot of women, um, because they're not rooted enough in their identity and they don't have their husbands blessing them enough with their words, that then that's when they start to feel like second rate. So like, oh, I'll show you. I'll go get this job. I'll become this. I'll become that. And I'm not opposed to women working outside the mar- in the marketplace. I'm not. But I think if you read Scripture, the primary responsibility for a woman is to be at home. I mean— Titus 2 says that she would be busy at home. That, now, you talk about being counterculture. You, you talk about words that would cause a fight. It's the only gender God says that about. There's only two genders in the Bible. There's male and female. He doesn't tell the men to be busy at home. He tells the wives to be busy at home and teaches women to teach younger women to love their husbands and be busy at home. That's what women's ministry should be teaching. Now, you talk about 1940s and uh, coming out and doing things different. I mean, that's those are like fighting words because I think even for some women in the church that are trying to push ministry, it's like, I'm trying to build my platform. I'm going to be the next Beth Moore. I'm going to do all this stuff. I'm going to be the best Bible teacher. I'm like, just show me in the word where God wants you to be that. It's not there. And so at the end of the day, one of the reasons that women don't get valued is there's not enough older women looking down at uh, the next generation women saying, hey, you're doing the right thing by loving your husband and staying at home, even though nobody's telling you that. In the same way, men, we're, we're always trying to climb our way up the ladder and do all these things because there's nobody saying, bro, if you were really uh, running Cedar Falls Bible Camp, that would be your greatest satisfaction in the world. Why are you looking for all these other things? Right. You are who you are. I mean, we all need people speaking into our life that we're complete in Christ. And Amen. if we'll just be who we are, he'll fulfill our hearts. And Kim does a great job of that. I mean, she's awesome with her kids. Our kids love her. It's fun for me because she doesn't get to hear these conversations as much as I do because they won't tell her. But, you know, just times when I'm alone with my kids and they'll affirm Kim and be like, oh, Dad, you don't understand the other moms. They're, they just they are yeah. not like mom. They do that. I'm like, you're, you know, I, I picked well. I picked well. <laughs> That's right. I selected your mom. You know, so it. it's pretty cool to watch as they've gotten older now seeing who Kim is and how she's treated them as individuals and human beings and you know, not just told them, don't, yes, don't do this. Yeah. And um, they respect her, and it's really cool to see. Um, just a little bit longer, I tapped into something. You're tapping into something that's kind of been a burr in my saddle. And I don't know, did you listen to the podcast, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill Church? I did. Here's the deal. Now, let me just prep, because Some I... Some of it. Now, then I'm going to have opinions on this, too, so I, go I, ahead. I, I'm with you, and I've... It was recommended to me and recommended to me and recommended to me. And I listened to about the first part of the first episode. It's like, ugh, I don't want to listen to this. Um, just long story short for our listeners, Mark Driscoll was this kind of firebrand, truth-telling preacher who I loved back in the day. Uh, I wasn't exposed to him a ton, but the stuff I heard, I loved. He took some stuff way over the line, and then his church imploded. They got rid of him. Christianity Today is the magazine that hosted the podcast called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill Church. And I just a few days ago, for whatever reason, I was doing some stuff and I was like, you know, what? I'm going to go back to that and check that out because a couple more people had told me you need to listen to it. And what they wanted me to listen for is what I'm going to bring up right now, which ties into what we're saying. I thought that Christianity Today used 
Mark Driscoll, who got some things wrong, who should have been called on the carpet for some things that he said which weren't biblical or took things too far, but I thought they used Mark Driscoll as a caricature to tear down biblical Christianity to a degree. What do you think of that? And, and how that? Do you understand why I'm bringing that up? I do. Um, I'll, I'll speak to. I, I do not personally know Mark Driscoll, but in what I had heard from his ministry uh, when he was in Seattle, I think he's an outstanding Bible teacher. Um, I don't know anything about his leadership. I don't know Mark. Right. But I know God was blessing the ministry and doing great things. So I'm for pastors. You have to realize I'm for pastors. So when people talk bad about pastors, uh, God's anointed. I'm I'm for the pastor. Um, even when pastors do wrong, even if pastors need to be disciplined, I'm still for the pastor. So what I did not like about uh, the podcast, it, it was not only a caricature about that specific church, it was a caricature for any strong masculine leader that was leading in that type of way, that the way in which they're growing a big church or strong in their leadership or having two genders or believing in complementarianism is wrong or having authority in the church. I'm here to tell you, God appointed pastors and gave them authority to lead in the church. That means they may misuse that leadership. In the same way, God gave husbands authority in the home. It doesn't mean that all husbands have used it correctly, but it doesn't change that that's what God has done. And so it felt like a push to me to say everything about Mark Driscoll and Mars Hills was wrong. And if you're a strong masculine pastor that has an anointing and a calling and a leadership in a big church, then you're wrong too. And And I hated that podcast and that's why I turned it off because I didn't feel it was accurate. I didn't feel it was well balanced and I didn't feel it gave any time I don't, Anytime I don't hear both sides get a chance to speak, it's not truth. And so Kim and I have done enough marriage counseling to know if we listen to the wife first, we would say, oh, how could you be married to that husband? If we listen to the husband first, we'd say, oh, how could you be married to that wife? We listen to them both together. We say, yeah, there's some challenges there. What do we need to work through? And I didn't feel like it was fair, balanced, accurate. I felt like it was a pile on, which felt unchristian to me, and I didn't like it at all, and that's... Specific, uh, that's my story I'm sticking to. The, the, re, the reason I brought it up is specifically the issue of complementarianism versus egalitarianism. They use some of the missteps of Mark Driscoll to completely throw complementarianism under the bus. And the other thing that was annoying is whoever the guy that was the moderator on that podcast, some Christianity Today hack, excuse me, but that, that's just what it sounded like, would make an accusation that was a pretty bold accusation, like if you're complementarian, basically you're anti-women. But then he would like qualify that and back off just a little bit so that you could never accuse him of full-on trying to t- kneecap complementarianism. I'll just speak personally for me. When I heard some of the podcasts and I stopped listening to it, what I was hearing was, hey, Jeff, because of who you are and what you believe and the way you're leading and the way your church is growing, you're wrong and everybody in the world needs to be skeptical of what you're doing at Brave Church because you're going to blow that up the same way. And I hated it at the core of who I was because what this world needs is more strong, masculine, biblical leaders, not less. And it was, it felt like a feminist agenda through the whole thing. And I just personally didn't like it because I didn't get a chance to hear Mark Driscoll speak to those things. I didn't hear fair questions. And you know what? Here's the truth. 
if you want to go into anybody's closet and find skeletons, if you want to find negative things about people, we can always do that. But why, why would we as Christians do that? Like, I'm asking this question. How did that podcast help advance the cause of the church in America and help advance the kingdom? And I'm at a loss for seeing how that was helpful. I think people walked away and say, I'm more skeptical of the church now than I was before. And I'm also skeptical of strong biblical leaders that are complementary and even more. How does that help anybody? I felt it was unhelpful. I felt like, and they, I don't know how many episodes. I mean, it was ad nauseum. So I, I just don't think the agenda was God's agenda for what could have been done. Are there lessons to be learned? Yeah, there's lessons to be learned in our church of things that we've done wrong. But do we need the whole you know, nation picking on two or three issues uh, and making it into a mockery? And even if 100% of it's true, how does that help restore somebody? How does that help a church, you know, that was hurting? How, how does that, I, I didn't see how it was helpful in any way. So that's why I'm just, not, I'm not a fan of our current modern day media and what they do, because I don't think it's building a people and I think it's hurtful and I think it's wrong. Reading between the lines of what was said, Jen over here and then Kim, two women, they basically would make you guys out to just be complete idiots because like you've fallen for this 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 thing I mean he basically just went on a rant Jeff did about about the masculine strong men and you guys are supporting this and so like either you're dumb or you're complicit I mean, what does that do to you when you hear that kind of the, the criticism? And I'm not talking about the Mars Hill thing in, in general, in, in Christian culture, when they're like, you know, how, why are you buying into complementarianism? It, it's painful because Jen and I both have sons, and yeah. this is the world they have to live in. And, you know, the Bible says that the man is the leader of the household. So as a Christian woman, I looked for a godly man that I could respect enough to allow him to lead, and I, I feel like I'm a more godly woman because I'm married to him mm-hmm. and because I submit to him. Yeah, and Talk about the guys you found in the church growing up. Were they the kind of guys you were attracted to? <laughs> I, I was going to a church where the men didn't lead. So that's kind of... <laughs> is that what you're referring to? Yeah, and you're saying it with a lot of tact, and I appreciate that about you. <laughs> That's true. But, but I mean, um, yeah, I, I didn't mean this to be a, a discussion about egalitarian and I think, well, and, But here's the problem. But, I but, think when but, you see a strong masculine leader, I think there are certain... There's a, it a can t- be abuse. It can be a total abuse. Sure. And, and what we found in our church, probably a third to half the women in our church have been abused in some way. And so to be around a strong masculine leader, it can trigger or remind them that, well, he can't be loving, too. He doesn't... Well, he is not only two, he is loving. And so we had a gal uh, in our church that, you know, I think they started coming week two, you know, been sexually abused as a, as a young girl. And it was about year five, she came up and she said, thank you so much for this church. She goes, I've never been around strong men before that genuinely care about me as a human being because I've never even seen that. This is, this is, I feel safe here. And I think God created men in such a way that he created women in such a way that men and women are fundamentally different in every way. And it's beautiful the way we're called to be different. And I think there's, there's, there's been such a push against that in our culture that we take another hour just to begin to open up the conversation. But 
I think we've said, you know, enough to say that, you know, let men be the fullness of who they are as men and let women be the fullness of who they are as women. But totally submitted to the lordship of Christ, that's a beautiful thing. Amen. And equal. I mean, equal. 100% equal. Well, this is good. We could meander into a bunch of different stuff, but we're going to call it off now so that you actually answer my call next time. <laughs> You'd be like, I'm not going to go down the rabbit hole with this guy. Uh, thank you so much. I'm for just glad I got those $25 free gift certificates to the High V in Cedar Falls next time I'm in town. <laughs> Tell everyone what you're referring to. Yeah, I'm talking about the movie uh, um, American... Uh, Hero. Um, is it, Isn't that what it was? The Kurt Warner movie. Yeah, the Kurt Warner movie. What, what is it called? American Underdog. American Underdog. Is it American Underdog? Something Underdog. I don't know. It's the underdog. I love the Kurt Warner story. Anyway, he played at University of Northern Iowa. And when I was there, I, I drove by the football stadium in an afternoon one time. So I'm like, hey, where'd he play? I want to see this thing. So it was pretty cool to be on the UNI campus and see what's going on there. Did you see the movie? Yeah, I did. And I joked because he was actually, you know, stocking shelves at a high V. And then about five years later, he's the MVP of the St. Louis Rams at the time. Uh, of the Super Bowl, so it's just kind of a cool story. So I joke about the High V and yeah, Cedar no, Falls being a special place. It's uh, that movie. One th- I haven't seen it yet, and I don't know if I will, because they characterize the home football field for Northern Iowa as being an outdoor stadium, and it's a dome. I mean, how ba- how do you get that wrong? They got that wrong. I knew they had that wrong when I saw the movie, but it's still a good movie. I thought it was a good movie. All right, hey, thanks for being on here, Kim. Thank you. you did a this great job. Awesome. She's pound for pound. Her words were better. I mean, in terms of the economy of words, hers were more more valuable than yours. But. 100%. I've always said that about her. I'm married up. All right. Have a good one. The CC Podcast Conversations is part of Christian Crusaders Radio and Internet Ministry, started in 1936 and is one of America's longest-running radio ministries. We are 100% donor-funded, and donations to our ministry are tax-deductible. So if you are encouraged, challenged, or inspired by today's conversation, please consider making a donation on our website, christiancrusaders.org, or mail a check to Christian Crusaders, 7401 University Avenue, Cedar Falls, Iowa, 50613. In addition to our other podcasts, which I mentioned at the front of this episode, I want to mention two of our other ministry partners worth checking out. First, the Cedar Falls Bible Conference, equipping believers with the truth of God's Word since 1922. Visit cedarfallsbibleconference.com for free access to previous conference content or for more information about upcoming events. Second is Power to Change Digital Strategies, an online ministry partnering volunteer Christian mentors with people around the world searching the internet for answers. If you or someone you know could benefit from an anonymous online conversation with a caring Christian adult, go to issuesiface.com. Or if you would like to be a volunteer Christian mentor, please visit p2cdigital.com. That's the letter P, the number two, and the letter C, digital.com. See our episode notes for details and links, and remember to subscribe, leave a five-star rating, and write a review. God's richest blessings to you, and thanks again for listening.